2005, one of my favorite movies ever came out. <clears throat> the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Love that. You know, there, there are things there, and there's so much imagery, and uh, so many things that happen, and it even has Santa Claus in it. You know what I mean? You know. All these things, though, point to the Lion of Judah. Aslan is his name there in Narnia, and he is the king who sacrifices himself. This great picture um, of what and who Jesus is. And I later began to discover other allegorical works throughout literature. But none of them were quite as defined as Narnia. In Narnia, you had one person who was Christ. One person, one picture, and he was Christ, and you knew it. But then, in other forms of literature, you, you find different people who are Christ figures. And so, in a different story, you may have three or four different people who show up as Christ. And so, <clears throat> it becomes harder to nail down. And I felt similarly preparing this sermon as it's not really a, a figure shift, but we have a hard time sometimes seeing Christ in the picture uh, that we are looking at today. We are still in our series this week of peeking at the presence, the pictures of the Christ in the Old Testament. And today, we pick up one that is, you know, we talked about it, or we talk about it normally in our, uh, our, our Christianese, if you would, that Christ is the rock. But usually when we talk about that, we think about this in a different way. We think about Christ as the foundation. He is the, the cornerstone. He is all of these things. Um, but this is a different thought of Christ as the rock. We pick it up this week, almost where we left off last week. God's preparing the people of Israel for their journey into the promised land. So they've been going through the desert, and, and God is, is trying to prepare them for what is going to come. And in Exodus chapter 17, we find our text for today. And it says there, starting in verse 1, the entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me, Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried to the Lord, What should I do with these people? In a little while they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock and hoard it. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. We ask all these things they would be your son Jesus and for his sake. And all God's people said. It's always an interesting story here in Exodus, you know. Last week, the people cries out, right? They cried out, we're going to starve! And so, God provides manna, provides quail. And this week, there's, there's no water. I mean, go figure, in the middle of the desert, there's no water. 
There's no water. So now we're going to die. And again, instead of saying, okay, God, what are you gonna, how are you going to help us? They cry out and grumble and complain. And God provides water from a very unlikely place. Barak. Now, I pick this up and you're probably going, um, what does this have to do with Jesus? I mean, water from a rock, Jesus? Well, if you've been following along in our Bible readings on line, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we have this description that they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink where they drank from a spiritual rock that was followed them, and that rock was Christ. It's no accident that that was said over in 1 Corinthians thousands of years later. Because this is a picture of Jesus. And how is this a picture of Jesus? Well, first, the provision they both give us is vital for life. You have to have water to live. Water, beyond everything else, is the one thing you have to have to live. Our bodies are, you know, mostly water. Did you know you can live for three weeks without food? But only three days without water. Now, most of you are probably going, I couldn't live three weeks without food. But... You could, if you had to. But only three days without water, because generally, <clears throat> when you begin to get dehydrated, your body begins to go through changes. Things begin to happen. You begin to break down. Uh, you know, some of us are already breaking down at times, but when you're dehydrated, you really break down. Your organs quit functioning like they should. Your healing processes don't happen like they need to. Your mind begins to, to do strange things and you begin to maybe hallucinate and see things. Dehydration is honestly one of the most horrific ways for someone to die. Because not only is your body shutting down, but your mind is playing tricks on you so you end up in this state that you would never want anybody to be in. And that's the effects of dehydration on the body. But you also can live without Christ but your spirituality can be very lacking. You can be spiritually dehydrated. You ever felt spiritually dehydrated? Where things just didn't seem to just flow like they did. When you pick up the Bible and you read, you go, oh, what does that mean? When you want to pray, but the words don't come. Spiritual dehydration begins to make your mind wander to other places rather than the gift giver. Spiritual dehydration begins to, to make a, you emotionally drained. When you find yourself spiritually dehydrated because you haven't been nourished from the water that comes from Jesus, you find yourself in a spot where <clears throat> things just don't, don't work like they're supposed to. Things aren't coming together and this doesn't make sense and I don't understand and I can't make it happen like I want to make it happen. So the provision they both give is vital for life, but both blessings come from an unlikely place. They're in the wilderness. Millions of people thirsty. Where would you go to get water? A rock, of course. Right? That's not where I would go to get water. I mean, I would look around for certain places that had trees growing because there's probably some water there because there's something green. I would look for, for certain signs, but, but here, God goes and says, go to this rock. Go to this rock. I want you to go a little bit ahead of them. 
take some elders with you. I'm going to stand before you there on the rock of Horeb. And I want you to take that staff. Remember that staff is in all those great things. I want you to take that staff. And you're going to strike that rock. And water's going to come out. And they'll know that I am a God. I'm a God who can, who can do anything. That was probably unlikely. I mean, I would probably have my doubts if I'm an Israelite. Come here, I'm going to give you water. I don't see a fountain. I don't see a stream. We just crossed. We just crossed the Red Sea back there. We've already been through all this water and now there's nothing. And you brought us up here on the top of this mountain and you're going to tell me there's water here and you're going to tell me it's this rock and it's unlikely. But Jesus was an unlikely source too. In the first century there, they were uh, not expecting a baby. How often do we allow Jesus to change our preconceived notions of what we think he's supposed to be? This, this, this is my rabbit, I guess, because it's not in the <laughs> So often, we have this box. This is my God box. And God fits in here. And God does what, what I know he's supposed to do. And that's what all the Jewish people did in first century Judea. God had this box. And he fit in this box. And for them, that box was the temple and that box was the law. And that's where he fit. And anything that he did that didn't resemble that, that they didn't understand. They were expecting this great military leader. I mean, you had shoot, break-off shoots here, these little branches of, of zealots who were training for military might to go in and take out Roman soldiers. You had all these people who expected this to be this great conquering force and he was going to come in and take over and everything was going to be great. That's what they expected. And what happened was a baby was born in a state. To an unassuming, non-royal family. And he grew up to be a man who wouldn't even pick up a sword. <laughs> That's an unlikely source for provision from God. For the salvation they were looking for. In both cases, the rock here doesn't even act unless acted upon. Even as a weapon. Here's your third sermon for the day. So often, we want to throw rocks at people in the name of Jesus. No, we can't do that. That's not the kind of that's not the kind of rocks we're talking about. Jesus is our rock, but we're not supposed to throw a lot of these big old rock grenades at people. You're a sinner. You're doing things the way you're not supposed to do. We don't do that. That's not what we're called to do. The rock doesn't even act on us. Acted upon. It's not a weapon. The rock is a source of provision. And to provide their blessings, they both had to be struck. They're in the middle of the desert. And this wood staff's going to strike this rock. And it had to be struck. God said, go up there and strike the rock. Once. To provide a blessing. 
Jesus had a ministry. But his work and the sacrifice didn't begin until he was struck. They were both struck to the Bible blessing. And my favorite thing here is, this is a very short sermon lesson this morning. Y'all are going, we're working out pretty early. They only had to be struck once. They only had to be struck once. Numbers 20 has a different story. They're coming to the end of their wandering. And again, they're thirsty. And again, they cry out to Moses. And again, Moses is very frustrated and upset. And he doesn't understand. And so he goes to God. And God says to him this time, go and speak to the rock. And it'll give you water. And Moses goes and hits the rock twice. And for that, he doesn't get to go into the promised land. Because God had another point that he was proving. The rock only has to be struck once. It only has to happen once. He could have spoken to that rock like God told him to do. And water would have come forth from the rock that he had spoken to. Because that's what God had told him. After the resurrection, the rock of Jesus is no longer struck. He died once for all. He went on the cross one time for everybody's sins. He doesn't have to be crucified again. There's no need to do that. He's already done it. And now we receive water from Jesus by what? By speaking to the rock. We receive water from Jesus by going to him and crying out. It's amazing. BBS, we have the ABCs, right? The ABCs of salvation. And not one of them says beat up on Jesus. It's admit to God that you're a sinner and repent. It's believe that Jesus is God's only Son and it's confessed. All those things are about talking. They're speaking. When we go to God now, we speak to receive blessings from Him. When we go to Him in prayer, when we go to Him in our daily time, we go to Him and we speak to God and we say, God, bless me. God, show me the way. God, show me what I need. And He gives it from our talking to Him. No longer is that to be struck again. God was trying to show something here in the Exodus. He was trying to show something here in this rock imagery that so many times we miss. <clears throat> so many times we do not get there. We cannot become like Moses in Numbers 20. Because in Numbers 20, Moses' problem was 40 years in the desert had hardened him a little bit. And his heart was hardened a little bit. And in his anger, he didn't trust the word of God. Because God said to him, speak to the rock. And instead he struck the rock. Because it's what he knew. Because it's what he understood. How often do we end up that way in our faith walk? We do the things we do because it's what we've always done. It's what we understand. But if God tells us to do something that is not what we're used to, we take a step back and wonder about it. When Carrie and I got married, she had sung in choirs. 
but she never sung by herself or led anything. And uh, when we went to a, a church, the day that I came in view of a call, the music minister was undergoing surgery for something. And they let him vote before he went to surgery. So he voted in abstention. And then when we packed up a week and a half later and had the U-Haul, we pulled up to the parsonage and one of the deacons brought me the keys. He said, I suppose you heard about Brother Jimmy, right? And I said, no. He said, he died. What? That was the first, first day as pastor. And my music minister has died. And I looked at Carrie and I said, you want to leave music? And that was so out of her comfort zone. She, that was not something she wanted to do. But she began to pray and God began to lead her toward it. And she stepped up and, and it changed who she was because she was faithful to do this opportunity that she felt God was calling her to. So often we don't, we don't do that. So often we say, well, God... I bet there's somebody else who'll do that job. I bet there's somebody else who'll do it. Somebody's job. It's just not mine. Are you sure? We don't like hearing that. Uh, I, I, I've gone to bed with them now. I know. Um, sometimes maybe it is your job. If we're always waiting for somebody else to do it, it may never get done. Carrie's biggest frustration with me is I'm not good at waiting for somebody else to do it. Because if I say, okay, do this, and it doesn't get done by a certain time frame, I'll just do it. Because I can't handle things being undone. And that's my sin. Because I'm not, I'm not supposed to be doing it, but I'll do it because it needs to be done. <laughs> because somebody else has said, well, it's somebody who'll do it. You ever gotten around to it? You ever done around to it? Some bulletins? Maybe we all need to have around to it because maybe we need to get those out because everybody's always telling me I'll get around to it. When I get around to it, well, I'm going to give you around to it one of these days. And then you can do all those things you were waiting on to get around to it. Jesus is so much more than we give him credit for. And God peppered these little pictures throughout the Old Testament to teach us that. So, so that we would know that he's not just the baby who came in the cradle. He's not just the good teacher. He's not even just the one who got on the cross. He is the living water. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the bread from heaven. He is the sacrificed son. He is all of these things. And because he's all of these things, he is the perfect sacrifice. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. We get so wrapped up sometimes in the baby that we forget that the whole purpose of that baby was to die. Can you imagine that? I mean, as a daddy, I have a hard time with that. I can't imagine Mama's heart. Can you imagine Mary? 
holding your baby in your arms, knowing that his whole purpose is something you don't wholly understand. And he's not going to be yours for long. We can't be like Moses. We can't be hardened to where we don't hear God's word because God is still speaking today. And he continues to speak. He continues to tell us things if we'll just listen. The problem is we don't slow down enough. In case you're not on Facebook, <clears throat> this morning, I shared a picture in the Bible verse out of Ecclesiastes. For everything there is a season, the purpose for everything under heaven. But I went a completely different way with it because to me that says if there's a time for everything, there is a time for family, there is a time for fun, there is a time for rest, there is a time for all of those things. And if we're not taking those things, we're mishandling the time that God has given us. We are being bad stewards of something that God has handed us. We've got to make those things. We've got to have that time because there, every purpose under heaven has a time. Maybe this morning you've been struggling with something that God has been saying to you. That you have this box and something that God is telling you fits just outside the box. And you've been trying to shove it in and it's not going in and the lip won't stay shut. And now he's saying... Things that I bring to you are unexpected, like water from a rock. Maybe it's a time where you say, okay, God, I'll open the lid. You show me what you need me to do. Maybe this morning you want to surrender missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe this morning you never... Know Jesus as your Savior. Now's the time. Now's the time to know the living water, the water that comes from the rock. Now's the time to know it. All it takes is for you to walk the aisle and start the trial and know Jesus, and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Would you pray? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.